It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Touchdown, Los Angeles. You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team. Rams Nation, welcome back. This is your host, Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Locked On Rams. All right, guys, I took yesterday off. I wasn't ready mentally to come and talk about it yet, but it's now the Tuesday edition of Locked On Rams. I am over at the Rams Podcast Studio to do a double dip. We're going to do two podcasts tonight, one for Locked On, and then jump over and do Rams Podcast. Guys, if you haven't checked it out already, go check out Rams Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we do a weekly long form with my main man, James Kroger, who... Is joining me today, James. This isn't what we thought we were going to be throwing down today, but it is the life we live in. 26-13 was the score. Atlanta Falcons move on after they beat us here in the Coliseum. We got a lot to get to today. We got a lot to get to in the offseason. Uh, how you feeling? As you can tell right now, I'm a little bummed, but uh, we've got a lot to get you know positive about. How are you feeling? Bear, I'm right there with you. I'm, I've been bummed since Saturday, and I haven't been able to to hold my head up high yet. I'm still walking around. I, it was hard for me to watch football on on Sunday morning, to be honest with you. And yeah. you know, the first game, the Bills versus Jacksonville, was really boring before halftime. Extremely boring. And then I just stopped. I couldn't do it anymore. I've been I've been down. I think this is the first podcast of the year on both Locked On and Rams podcast where I, I I haven't been good. Well, we'll find something to we'll find that silver lining today and and through the rest of the off season because we do have a lot of great things going on with the Rams here. Uh, but I want to kind of get into the game a little bit. We got to talk it out. We got to get some of these things out. We got to talk about what went wrong, how it went wrong, what we could have done differently. Um, Matt Ryan and the Falcons came in. Their defense was ready to play. Our number one offense that we talked about going into this game was pretty much shut down. Um, I want to talk about a couple of those reasons on why we think it was shut down. I'll get to a fan question, which will get to one of my first complaint forms uh, of the game. It actually came from Birthday Boy, that is at Androby, reaches out, fan of the show, and his question was, curious if you guys have an idea on why Goff threw the ball 45 times and Gurley got less than 20 carries. You could say it was game script because of we were behind, but Gurley was having great success. Mm. Very, very true, and I think this is probably one of my number one things on what went wrong. Um, we did start the game with two three and outs right away and then followed that by two consecutive turnovers by Farrell Cooper, which we'll get into a little bit later in the mm-hmm. show. Uh, but yeah, you, I mean, you kind of nailed it in your question. The game script was thrown off right from the beginning. At one point early in the game with the time of possession, Atlanta had 14 minutes and we only had the ball for four and a half minutes. Um, they owned it. They were up 13 nothing right away and we're lucky that that's all it was. We fought ourselves back in by halftime, but I totally agree with you. Gurley had 14 carries for 101 yards, again, averaging that seven yard per carry that we saw him do much of the season when given the opportunity. And Jared Goff threw the ball 45 times. I don't like the amount that he threw near the end of the game. Obviously, we were running out of time. You can't really run. A lot of throwing near the end. But in the first half, early in the third, I would have loved to see Todd Gurley get the ball more. We've noticed from him, he is definitely a second-half runner as well. He can really wear down a defense. Their run defense wasn't amazing to where we would really need to stop. Yeah, he got a couple stops in the, in, in, uh, the backfield, and they did 
kind of um, rile him up a few times, but he did have those big bursts near the end of the first half, and I thought, all right, we're going to build off this, come out in the halftime, and really go to it. We never really went back to Gurley. I think it's going to be something that McVay kicks himself. James, what was your thoughts on the, the distribution between throwing and passing? You know, Taking it into consideration near the end, it was a lot of passing. But yeah. Well, you look at it on paper, and 101 yards, 7.2 average for Gurley, like you just mentioned. And you know, the question was, why didn't we feed Gurley a lot more? Well, there's a couple factors that go into it. The first thing is we, we hadn't started off this slow all season long. Yeah. Like you mentioned the time of possession that we had. We started off with two three-and-outs and then two turnovers right yeah. after that. So we didn't get to start off the normal way we would uh, and be able to get that, have that offense progress and be able to you know use those plays that, that open up that offense in a, in a strong way to be able to utilize Gurley. A big piece of being able to use him so much is the fact that we have so many threats uh, down the field. And then also, I'm sure you saw, Barry, everybody was kind of slipping all over the place, even Todd Gurley himself. So maybe part of that in Sean McVay's head was thinking he didn't want to risk any injury and you know knowing that he was going to use him uh, later on, but he maybe didn't want to... He was slipping and uh, a lot of people were slipping, but you know he said himself that he's made mistakes in the past where he hasn't given Gurley the ball quite enough and he's you know kind of hated on himself for that and you know I think that's just one piece and many factors that went wrong in this game yeah we could have given Todd Gurley the ball a lot more but nothing was right from the beginning in this game offensively for us you go from a team that uh, we've scored on almost all of our opening offensive drives this season and we went two three and outs immediately probably threw things off quite a bit in our offensive scheme so you know everything from the start was just was just off here yeah, and you mentioned the slipping. I don't know if that really went into the play calling, but it definitely, uh, looking at it, seeing you know people kind of flying around, it was kind of disappointing. It was our first night game in the Coliseum this year. The fog was kind of crazy, even as I was rolling over to your house looking at the weather. Uh, it would have been nice if we had one of those perfect sunny California days. Uh, but that's out of control. Um, both teams had to play through it. We just couldn't seem to uh, get over you know, multiple humps, that being one of them. Another whole piece of that is just the team in general. You know, we, we talked about last week, I didn't really think the pressure of this playoff game being a night game, being the only game on TV would be a factor with this very young team, very young coach and quarterback and, and uh, players. But when it came down to it, I actually do think that being in the playoff environment was a big factor in this game. Yeah, weirdly, you know, I felt like golf seemed composed enough, but mm. a, a team as in general, even on that first turnover, you just saw the special teams kind of looking around at each other on the field like, wait, what just happened? Mm. And then when the second one happened, you could just feel their energy just dip and like, oh my gosh, are we doing this right now? Are we right. blowing this? And it was nice to see them finish strong in the half. Obviously, we put up 10 points uh, near the end of the half there that kind of, you know, crawled us back into this game and you thought all right little McVeigh halftime speech come out the third quarter is always ours was not the case in this game mm-hmm. they, they won the third quarter six to nothing couldn't get anything going again um, and that's when for me panic started setting in a little bit as we needed some big plays um, the refing at times was a little sketchy uh, you know I'm not going to blame it but there was a couple calls back to back on Robert Woods one he had a great block they call it a block in the back um Multiple things just kind of didn't seem to go away. Another one that you know I saw was was the Sammy Watkins call on fourth down, where it seemed like he was kind of getting held. We didn't get the call, but coming into this game, I think I talked to you offline about this. But Ed Hockley and his crew have the least amount of defensive pass interference calls uh, in the NFL season this year, and the most 
offensive pass interference calls. Mm-hmm. We saw one of those go against Robert Woods. So not surprising as you look at kind of the way that Ed Hockley and his crew call the games. They kind of let it go on the defense side of the ball, and they, they tend to favor the defender a little bit, which kind of works for our guys like Tremaine and, you know, that aggressive caliber of cornerback. Uh, Julio Jones, he held him when thrown to him, uh, gave up four catches for about 60 yards. So he kept him in check as much as you could. Julio got that touchdown near the end, which Matt Ryan slipped on the play and made it happen. Uh, but things that I go back to, um, even on that drive, that Matt Ryan touchdown drive, we had a third and about seven or eight. They did a screen play to the right to Freeman. Uh, we had it sniffed out. I want to say it was Joyner. Uh, or Johnson tried to come up, make the tackle about three yards after the line of scrimmage. Probably would have caused a punt there in, in that area. Missed the tackle, something we haven't done much of this year. Mm-hmm. He slips through, gets the first down a couple plays later. Same thing. Uh, came up to make a play. Freeman runs over one of our defenders. Goes for the extra yards in the first down. Uh, we just couldn't seem to make the play when the play was needed to be made. Uh, which was a little bit of a letdown knowing that we've done it so many times this year. I really wish we played on the road. You know, we played yeah. so well on the road. Uh, and Atlanta came in and kind of just owned us. They seem to have, and I don't know if playoff experience goes into this, but they just seem to have the, they had the, the poise. The poise, and they really just had it cranked up an extra notch. They just seemed to be going after it. Uh, and they ended up with that possession battle. 37 minutes, started 22 minutes. It's tough to get uh, Gurley his 20 plus carries. But I'll tell you right now, if I'm McVay, I'm going to have a little sheet next to me, and I'm just, every time I give Gurley ball, I'm just going to do a little check mark, and I'm going to make sure that I have 20 circled. And I got to get there, man, because when he goes over 20 carries, the team's undefeated, and they tend to just look unstoppable. I'm not saying it's just, if you get him to 20, it'll happen, but I would make sure that at any point that I give him the ball enough and I work off my offense from there. The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a postmortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis LeVert jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trail Blazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked On Fantasy Football with your Locked On Fantasy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fantasy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry, you can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider. 
Um, I want to kind of run through. I'm going to toss you a player. Tell me what you thought about their performance. We can kind of dive a little bit deeper into uh, personal performances and, and how each player played because, you know, we had some great performances. We'll start with positive because I feel like even now my energy's dipping. I need to bring <laughs> it back. I need to build off some good things. Um, so let's start on the offense side of the ball. We saw Jared Goff, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but his top receiver of the game was Robert Woods. Uh, nine catches, 142 yards on 14 targets. Your thoughts on, on Robert Woods' performance in the playoffs? Honestly, I was pretty excited about Robert Woods' overall performance. He had 14 targets for 142 yards, PFF wide receiver rating of 97.9. Mm. And the one negative is he was actually flagged for two plays in a row, which really hurt us. So yeah. there's so many things working against us on the offensive side. You know, Jared Goff, we mentioned not giving Todd Gurley the ball enough. Well, he was he had the heat coming to him a lot, and he had to adjust with all, a lot of pressure on him. So um, I think we should have, yeah, given Gurley the ball a lot more. But he didn't have the typical amount of time back there to uh, complete a lot of these passes. But Robert Woods, he definitely stepped it up on his on his old home turf and uh, was really impressed with, with his overall performance. So uh, all the receivers – I mean, he's the one who who actually made it happen for us this game. Yeah, definitely. He had a great game alongside Cooper Cup, who had some big catches for us, ended up with a big touchdown uh, there in the first half. Um, I want to stay on the positive side. Roger Saffold had a great game on Saturday. PFF had him graded as the highest offense alignment for the Rams on Saturday at 80 was the score. Mm -hmm. He also ranked in with the best run blocking grade for the Rams at 78.3. He was kind of crucial in a couple of those big Todd Gurley runs. Mm -hmm. Gurley averaged 11.7 when running to the right of Saffold on seven carries. 2017 was Saffold's highest grade as an NFL pro at 84.9. That's seventh highest among all guards. Pro Bowl would be nice, a little (laughs) acknowledgement there. Uh, And he did such a great job in the run. He was... Third highest in run blocking this year at 87.9. Another reason we should have ran the ball a little bit more. Another reason we should have ran the ball a little bit more. So those are our two offensive kudos awards that we got. Um, Let's jump over to the other side. We did have, obviously, some amazing performances on on that side as well. Um, Give me a guy that stood out to you and maybe some some of the stats on on what what he did on Saturday. Definitely want to give a shout-out to Troy Hill. Uh, he played 35 coverage snaps against the Falcons, and he saw five targets and allowed zero catches on those five targets and broke up two of them. So against uh, Sanu, who we thought we knew before this game that he was going to be guarding Sanu, and we had a little bit of concern about Sanu lining up in the slot position and how Troy Hill was going to be able to handle that because the Rams defensively have struggled a bit against the slot. But uh, according to PFF, Hill or earned an overall grade of 91.7, which is the highest of his whole career. So uh, when it comes to shout-outs to this game, got to give this guy some credit. He performed, and, and yeah, he was out there quite a bit compared to normal games. So you know, these guys were extra tired, but Troy Hill was able to, to keep that uh, and keep on top of his performance in his passing game. He also, on top of that, added four defensive stops, three of which were in the run game. And so now Troy Hill has the fourth highest amount of stops among quarterbacks since taking over for Webster in Week 14 with 10. So Troy Hill, you nailed it, man. Sorry we couldn't help you out more in the rest of in the rest of our game, but got to give this guy a major shout out. Yeah, he did have a great game, and another guy that had a great game is Mr. Ad. Hashtag Pay the Man. Hashtag mm. I always have a good game. <laughs> uh, Aaron Donald. 
he ranked in with Pro Football Focus as the highest graded Ram player with 97.8. If you follow Pro Football Focus, they don't just hand out 97s very mm. often. Um, and the reason why they did is because Aaron Donald basically outdid himself from what you thought was really possible. This year, he set the single game high in quarterback pressures with 10. He did it twice this season, by the way. Um, and he generated 11 on Saturday. 10 of those came in the first half, which tied the pro football focus record for most pressures in a half. Um, and that was J.J. Watt back in 2014. And if you look at it as a whole, he was the only the second player in the last 10 years to generate 100 or more quarterback pressures in a season with 102. <laughs> Not only did he rush the quarterback, but his run defense was also grayed out. So he was doing it on both sides of the ball, my man. He was doing it, putting pressure on the quarterback. He was stopping the ball on the run. Um, I think one of the biggest issues for, for him was when Michael Brockers went out. Um, Morgan Fox came in and also had a great game pro football focus-wise. Um, he had a couple pressures. Uh, I think he was in on one of the sacks there late in the game. Uh, but you could tell that Atlanta started running up the middle a little bit more and getting more chunks on the ground. I don't know if we were really the same uh, once Michael Brockers left, but we did have some amazing performance by that D-line. And in our typical game, how the Rams play, if the defense can hold to 23 points or so, uh, our Rams win that game. I mean, obviously the, the 10 points that we gave off, gave off of turnovers to start the game did not help us. Basically the difference in the ball game. Um, but this defense did what they could. They made some big plays. They just couldn't get that big stop, that big turnover when we needed it. We talked about this leading into the game. we got to win the turnover battle. We win the turnover battle. We're undefeated on the season. Mm. And we lost the turnover battle. We lost it bad. We lost it early. And we really never created that big play on defense as far as the turnover goes. We kept asking for it. We kept felting for it. We kept needing it. Uh, and it just never really came. So you got to give uh, hats off to Atlanta for taking care of the football. They did that well. And um, one of the reasons on why they won the game. Right, so basically a few of the main factors that statistically have contributed to a lot of the wins for the Rams this season is one, the turnover battle, which we lost, two, starting off early and overall time of possession offensively, and then feeding Gurley the ball. We failed in all three of those aspects, which you know is reasoning behind this, this big loss. Yeah, and the playoffs turnover battle, just like the regular season, is such a key important stat. Uh, when you can't do that, it's tough to control the ball and game. It, w it wasn't even a normal type of turnover. It was like when it happens on a punt return, okay, you let's, don't even get a let's, chance to get yeah, out there. Let's talk about it because, I mean, that's one of the big eyesores of this game. Uh, Farrell Cooper came out after the game, actually retweeted one of the Rams um, post-game tweets and said, I'm sorry, Rams Nation, and I promise to learn from this experience and bounce back. Uh, you could tell after the game he tried to keep his composure. You could tell he obviously was gutted by it. Uh, he said all the right things as far as, you know, it's my mistake. I should have called poison call, which is their call to uh, the rest of the team to basically stay away. The punt in which he, um, you know, muffed and was the first turnover, he said it came up in the air. He thought it was going to go a little bit further. He tried to come underneath it late, took a bounce in front of him. He's got to get the guys out of, out of his way. He knows that's his responsibility. And then from there, it was just a melee and we didn't get the ball. And then the second one, right after they scored points and gave it back to us, the ball was just punched out. Mm. Uh, defender made a great play on it. He's, he's you know scrapping for more yards, but he had it hanging out a little bit. It was punched out to the ground. And, um, 
you know, it's just disappointing back-to-back turnovers. And, and we talk about turnovers, and some of them, you know, if, if Goff throws a pick inside the red zone, yeah, you're taking points off the board, but they've got to go the distance of the field. Both those turnovers, they basically had the ball. One was in the red zone. The other one, I think, was just outside the red zone. Uh, we set them up for points right away. It was tough. Our defense held them, uh, you know, only to 10 points instead of 14. But giving away free points, especially in a playoff game, in the first half at home is just – it hurts, man. Yeah, and it's like a lot of Rams Nation is kind of divided around uh, how bad this hurt, and we're still kind of in that post – mortem depression on top of that a lot of people are saying like hey we have a solid foundation moving forward and we're ready to go for next year me i i know that we're gonna have that conversation all off season how great this turnaround was i'm i'm actually sick of hearing about the turnaround i just want to focus on how good we're doing and how we can move on but i'm still i'm still hurting and i'm not ready to just kind of talk about this foundation and and moving forward to next year yeah it's tough because you see a lot of all you know all the news everything right now and i'm guilty of it too i you know tweeted a couple things out like that but you know, it is. It still burns, still hurts a little bit. You want to be upset. You want to be kind of mm-hmm. just like... But the thing is, we fell in love with these guys so much. We loved all their personalities. We loved what they did. Farrell Cooper, I mean, what an amazing year that he had. A Pro Bowl year. He had some great returns. Um, he was a special part of our team. And so it's so hard to be upset with them at the two mistakes. But they just happen to be, you know, these big mistakes in big-time games. Yeah. And... Um, you know, you, you like to see those McVeigh guys coming out and taking ownership for it, but it doesn't change that they put the ball on the ground in the most important game of the season. So I kind of mentioned the pressure, Bear. Do you do you feel the same way? Do you feel like that this playoff game atmosphere was was part of the reason of, on our overall performance? It's like I do and I don't because I, I think these guys are pros, and a lot of these guys have played in you know big time games at different levels and and in college and. Um, you know, Whitworth's been to the playoffs, and he had statistically one of his worst games of his career. He still never won a playoff game. Um, and we'll get into that. But I don't think he's shaken by it. I don't think... Um, but what about Goff and McVay? And- no, I mean, Goff looked pretty comfortable. McVay, I think, maybe got away from the play calling a little bit. He's done that a couple times this year. But um, they're professional athletes, and, and like I said, Goff looked you know, weirdly comfortable. I mean, he didn't throw any interceptions. There was a couple times where he took a sack where you could kind of tell he wanted to throw it, but then was like, nah, it's a better decision to just eat this. He had a couple beautiful dimes. I mean, that one to Robert Woods on the sideline where, you know, he had a half an inch to thread the needle and he did it, Mm -hmm. stepping up, rolling out, getting some things uh, going. So I don't know. Overall, not upset with the composure um, our defense started out so hot. We just kind of shot ourselves in the foot. We gave them the ball twice, you know, inside the 30 uh, within the first couple of possessions. And you talk about not only handing over points, but you're taking away snaps. You're taking away chances to get Todd Gurley to his 20 carries. Yeah, we you know, didn't when, get a chance to get that comfort offensively early on. No, you go two, three and outs and then two turnovers. By the time your fifth possession should come around, You've only had six plays, and Gurley probably has maybe one or two runs, if that. So uh, it's tough to it's tough to really get mad. We couldn't get the screen game going. Um, Todd Gurley did have three drops in the past game. Coming into this game, all of this whole season, he only had two drops the whole mm-hmm. season. He has three in this game. Is it nerves? I don't think so. Well, um, I think I think Farrell Cooper had nerves quite a bit. On top of everybody watching the game, when you're the only guy receiving the punt, everybody's running at you, and it's a big see, game. See, I just think it's – I thought it was – you know, he, he, he kind of described it pretty well. He thought it was a little bit longer of a kick, and he came running up a little late. And maybe at that point, 
he's you know in a regular season game maybe he does it differently he tries to get completely out of the way this time he's trying to go up and make the play and then he just kind of got caught in no man's land too too far away to you know not far enough away to walk away and too close to feel like he had to get in there and do something so right. uh, that's a terrible position to be in and in this game you get a crazy bounce it comes up at him it hits the toe all those things you know when you're watching in slow-mo it's just like what are the chances type of thing and it happened then we had a good shot at getting the ball and I think it was Johnson who kind of jumped on it and over it uh just all those things have to go right and they didn't for the Rams yeah and you kind of think that by halftime you'd be over all that initial if it was a factor you would think by halftime you'd kind of be over that, especially the fact that it was 10, 13 and halftime. You and I were both thinking like, okay, third quarter's been one of our best quarters all season long, and it's where we really perform and come back strong out of the half out of halftime. Well, we didn't, like you mentioned earlier, we didn't do anything right out of halftime, didn't even score in the third quarter at all, and I think that was another factor in, in finishing this game off strong. So, yeah, I mean, even if it was the nerves and, and first time in playoffs people in this night game, if it was a factor for Cooper and some of these guys – wasn't really an excuse in the second half because you kind of should have been over by that at that point. And you were only down three. So Yeah. Well, and as we're kind of talking about the things that let us down, obviously, Farrell Cooper, as much as we love you, uh, you're on that list, bud. You know, you had two of the big turnovers. Uh, you took ownership for it after the game. I'm still going to be a fan long term, but it's so frustrating. You know, Tavon Austin, we had to deal with that. Earlier in the season, we thought we had the guy back there to take care of it in the playoffs, and when it comes, it has a um, you know another big letdown. But other than Farrell Cooper, who were your big duds of the game? You know who let you down? Um, who kind of you know it's a performance to forget? Well, uh, we're looking at my complaint forms. That's I got a, a lot. That's a long list, my <laughs> friend. I filled out all of them. So. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of start at the top, and one of my favorite people in the world, Mr. John McVay. Okay, talk to me. Um, because you know he didn't get an opportunity early on, but we did have through two three and outs to start the game, and the play calling was a little bit questionable. And um, I don't know. I think that he didn't he wasn't the Sean McVay that we saw this regular season, and I have to. I have to say, he, he's been owning it a lot of this time. He's been owning the play calling, not giving Gurley the ball enough. I just think, you know, I don't know what threw him off there, but I think, you know, some of that play calling early on was a little questionable. It didn't really help our offense too much. So first complaint for him is starting at the top with, with the head coach. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, we always said a couple times in those losses this year, they got a little too cute with it, tried to get a little too, maybe too creative. This, I almost felt like he was too bland. Um, yeah. He didn't let it go enough. Uh, there were play calls that you kind of saw coming a mile away and just kind of fed into some of the game plan that Atlanta was hoping for. I wanted to see him get almost a little more creative. I wanted to see a couple plays that I hadn't seen all year that I went, yeah, that's my Sean McVay doing some crazy motion. And, right. you know, maybe a, I know it sounds gimmicky, but a throwback or just something that, you know, some fun formations that we had seen all year from him. But we didn't really see get pulled out at this point. And I understand when you get down 13 nothing and you shoot yourself in the foot, it kind of changes things up. But you got to stick to what got us here, and that's Todd Gurley. And working those screens, we, we pulled a couple. Todd dropped one. A couple um, went nowhere. But we got to continue to go to those things that got us here. Do you think um, any of that, uh, you know, talking about my complaint for him with McVay, do you think we can attribute any of that to maybe some of the 49ers game too? Like starters not going in, not you know, big loss, not really taking the game too you serious. Know, I don't know. I saw a lot of people get right onto Twitter and be like, this is why we should have started the starters. I don't think so, man. I don't think it was 
a lack of focus or they didn't come off a game ready. Um, and you got to remember, we have only 53 guys on the team, so a lot of those guys that got minutes were still getting minutes in the game. Yes, you sat a lot of the key starters, but um, I'd rather have these guys going in healthy. You heard that question being asked to some of the Rams players, and they said, no, we needed the rest. It was huge coming into us. Um, these guys play you know, 17 games all the way up, 16 games in 17 weeks at that point. I think they appreciated the rest and, and getting out there and playing you know, maybe a half of football if you look at you know, other teams that do – uh, do play their their starters in week 17. They'll pull them sometimes early. And how many times has Bill Belichick over the past 10 years rested starters near the end? Yes, he played them this week in 17, but, True, but um, their he's, starters he's are... rested a, a handful of people and they've made it to Super Bowl runs. So I don't I don't think it's really a, a science behind that. I don't find it. I think if we do the same thing again, I would ask them to sit starters and keep Todd Gurley healthy. So. I don't know. That's going to be one that's debated for a while in the offseason, but I, I like it the way it is and wouldn't change it. Um, well, I'm going to throw a guy in there. I kind of threw him under the bus a little bit earlier. and He's been a big staple for what we've done all year and another guy that you know you can't be too upset about in the overall scheme of what we did this year, but in that last game, yeah, I'm not happy at all. And that's Andrew Whitworth. Again, one of the few guys with playoff experiences yet to win a playoff game in his own right. But he finished as his lowest grade in pro football focus Yikes. on the team, 36.8. He gave up a season high of six quarterback pressures, five which turned into quarterback hurries. This is to remind you, in his first nine games as a Ram, Whitworth had five such games where he didn't allow a single quarterback pressure. Mm. So this is a guy that was just kind of one of the most consistent guys on our line and gets to the big game and just flops it. I mean, I, I don't know another way to put it. Yeah, they've got some great pressure on that on that edge in Atlanta, and it proved to be a problem for us. But he is the guy that we go to all year, and we get to the big game, and he just kind of lays an egg. This is lowest grade since 2008. Yikes. Um, so something that he doesn't, doesn't do very often, um, as a group, you got to be happy with the season quarterback sacks went down 10, 20 from the number 30 last year. So as a group, we did a lot better, but that doesn't help you in the playoffs. Andrew Whitworth kind of dropped an egg on us in the playoffs, kind of left Goff back there running for his life a couple times, having to force the ball, take a sack, do those things. Uh, so I'm going to have to say Andrew Whitworth was kind of probably one of my biggest disappointments, a guy that we went out and got. Great locker room guy. Don't get me wrong. He's done a lot for these Rams. Uh, he really allowed Saffold to grow as a player on that line. Sullivan was another guy in the center that helped. Uh, but for the big-time big time game, and, and you ask about players, you know, you think it was their first game? Was that part of the reason? No, this is Andrew Whitworth, a veteran, man. Like, And to see him put up a crap game like this sometimes – it just doesn't go your way, and, and this was one of those games where maybe the game and that time was just too big for those guys. Also, probably in Atlanta's preparation, they knew that Andrew Whitworth was the lineman that they had to get by, uh, you know, that they had to give a lot of attention to in order to get to Goff and give him additional pressure because we know, you just mentioned how well he's been blocking all season long. Well, if you can get by Whitworth, you know that you got something on the defensive side. So I bet also that on top of you know focusing on Todd Gurley and shutting him down, that they worked on trying to get by this man, uh, Andrew Whitworth. So it's probably you know some of the reasoning behind that, but yeah, I totally understand that. 
Yeah, and I got I got a little bonus one here, a little bonus complaint, and I don't know how much I can give it to him particularly, but Sammy Watkins, man, one catch, twenty three yards came in the fourth quarter, very late. Uh, he was only targeted four times, so again, why I can't really give it all to him. Um, but I think another reason why he's not getting the ball a lot is I just feel like I don't know. It, tell me if I'm wrong, but his lack of effort on plays that are thrown to him sometimes. Yeah. I know there was one that the ball was kind of underthrown. He beat his man. He tried to come back. But he just did the effort, to me, watching it on film, just doesn't seem to be there. Um, I know he had eight touchdowns for us this year. I know six of those eight, I believe, came within the 20-yard line. Um, And I think four of those eight came within the five-yard line, right? Those slants that he had done really good at. Um, This is a guy we're going to have to talk about quite a bit this offseason coming up because... Obviously a free agent. Obviously we gave up a second round pick to go get him. Um, yeah, and he was asked about that, and he said, you know, during his interview, yes, he understands that this is a, a huge offense this year, the highest scoring offense in the league. But he does know that it is business, and yes, he would like to come back to the Rams, but understands that, um, you know, it's a business decision. And that's that answer kind of matches what you were just describing as far as effort. I mean, yeah, everybody wants to come back to this team, but um, you just even open in that window to say that it is business. Like, are you you committed here or not, Sammy? Yeah, and that's one of those things. Looking at the offense moving forward, obviously Robert Woods is. Based basically stamped himself in here going like yeah I'm a solid number two for you Cooper Cup's right there going yeah you can count on me I'm gonna be there I'm I'm a great route runner I gotta work on my hands a little bit over the offseason but in general by far the best rookie season as a Rams wide receiver in the longest Mm -hmm. time that we can remember so um, we feel really good about that one-two combo we've got great tight ends in Gerald Everett and Higby um, which I think they both have a lot of growth. And then obviously you got Todd Gurley who puts up a lot of uh, attention yards and catches out of the backfield. So where does Sammy Watkins fill in? Obviously you you definitely missed a name that I didn't mention for a reason, but that's Tavon. I think he's just got to go at some point this yes. offseason. Um, but I'm kind of on the fence with Sammy. I know I watched a lot of stuff that goes on on Twitter and people seem to kind of be with me either on the fence or they love him and they want him back. He can be a true number one. He's got the speed to kind of take the top off of a defense. I just don't know uh, how I feel about him here and what really is an option to go get because at the same time, you want the one, two, three combo in the wide receiving core. Right now, he is a key piece of that moving forward. So do we have someone that can upgrade from there? I don't know. We'll talk about that over the upcoming weeks. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to be a fun debate to kind of talk in the offseason. On top of that, you know, initially when we first got him, he was that down-the-field threat. And when we realized he wasn't always getting that deep ball, he was just having that threat there opened up more opportunities for Woods and Cup and even Gurley to get the ball on some of the shorter and, and mid passes. So, you know, he does add to this offense when he's not adding to the offense, but just some of that attitude and, and effort that we're looking at, you're right. I, I don't know. I think he's definitely on the chopping block. Well, we've got a lot to get through over the offseason. Guys, I'm going to probably wheel it back just a little bit, try to get um, – Obviously, still some daily content coming your way. I'll keep you guys posted as the schedule starts to come. I'll probably move it back to about three or four days a week um, as we have certain things coming up on the schedule. Obviously, when the draft is here, we'll be uh, doing a lot more. And then when offseason kicks into full swing, I'll continue to talk about some of the games coming up. And we'll do, um, I'll get James back on here to kind of, we'll pick some games and all the way up to the Super Bowl. And then, you know, we'll, we'll uh, figure it out as we go. 
Feel free to send me questions. This is the time I really need some content from you guys. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns about what we have going on in this offseason, remember to send me a message at LA underscore Rambling Bear at Locked On Rams. As well, if you don't have that, hit me up on Gmail. That is LockedOnRams at gmail.com. Don't forget my partner in crime here at jkroger3 and at ramspodcast. We're going to jump over, do a Rams podcast, answer some more questions, get into it a little bit more, hopefully debate a few things, maybe find some more energy. Guys, I wish I had better news for you. You know how you feel. You know how I feel. There's not much more I can say other than we're going in the right direction, (laughs) right? I've heard it a thousand times, but it's true. I like everything we have going. Another thing we get to talk about is the Rams are now officially the 23rd pick in the draft. Nice. We have a first rounder, guys. We get to talk about that. Where are we going to go with it? That's for debate. James, appreciate it coming on. We'll try to find a better mood over the next couple weeks as we start to shake off this loss and really start to look at all the great things that we have coming up. Would have loved to see more football out of here in L.A., but you know what? That's just the way the cookie crumbles, my friend. the police are coming, so I have to go. Yeah. Oh, no. They found us. <laughs> All right, Rams Nation. You know what it is. Until next time. Peace. Hey, Locked On listeners. You already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fancy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fancy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.